So the reading is taken from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong, Lord. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. 
We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Dawn. So how do we react when life doesn't turn out the way that we had hoped? Until recently, Jan and I were very much looking forward to our holiday in Italy this year. Uh, unlike uh, last year where we took a late holiday, we'd planned something quite early. So we got two weeks booked in May. Um, travel company won't, uh, won't refund us yet because they say the situation might change. But... Uh, I think it's very unlikely that we'll be going. We had done lots of research. There was lots of places we were really looking forward to see. Um, and now feeling quite disappointed that we probably won't see them. But that disappointment is rather trivial when I think about my good friend Brian, who died last, uh, this week. Uh, Brian and I trained together at Theological College uh, to become vicars. And we were both ordained on the same, de same day, me in Coventry, him in Leicester. And for the last 26 years, we've met up three times a year. Brian was a few years older than me, and he retired from full-time ministry about four years ago. At that point, he was in good health, and he had great plans for his retirement. But within a few months, he had been diagnosed with motor neurone disease. At first, uh, the signs were fairly, uh, barely noticeable. He was just walking with a slight limp. But each time we met, three times a year, every time we could see that uh, his disease was, was becoming, um, the symptoms of it were becoming more evident. So from a small limp, then he needed a walking stick, and then he needed a wheelchair. From being able to speak perfectly normally, he then developed slight slurring of his speech, and the last time I saw him, he could hardly speak at all. We had planned to meet this coming Monday, tomorrow, uh, but he died last week. It certainly wasn't the retirement that Brian had hoped for and been looking forward to. So how do we react when life doesn't turn out the way we hoped? When we didn't get the job that we dreamt of? When a relationship didn't turn out the way we'd expected? Or when we look back over our lives and the whole shape of our life is different to what we imagined? Unfortunately, life can provide us with endless opportunities for disappointment. And it's even worse when the things that we dreamed of were something that we believe that God had promised us or called us to. So how do we respond? Let's just pray for a moment. Father, as we've just been singing, great is your faithfulness. We believe that you are a faithful God. Nevertheless, there are times when we do feel disappointment, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in really big ways. 
We pray that you'll speak to us this morning as we think about Daniel and how he dealt with disappointments. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel chapter 9 is the last in our sermon series about the book of Daniel and the passage that Dawn read to us is set, I think, within the context of great disappointment. It's a prayer that makes reference to several historical events. Um, In it, uh, Daniel refers to the prophet Jeremiah and the word of the Lord that uh, Jeremiah received, that the desolation of Jerusalem uh, would last 70 years. There's also reference to the law of Moses, the great servant of God. There's a reference to the Lord our God who brought out your people from Egypt. And there's reference to the desolate sanctuary in Jerusalem. Now I know some of you will be very familiar with all those references, but others of you are probably less so. And so I want to start by giving a recap of the historical context. The first of those references um, that Daniel makes is to the uh, rescuing of God's people from Egypt, which took a place about 800 years before the time of Daniel. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, but God sent Moses to set his people free and they escaped by crossing the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army followed in chariots. Those chariots then got stuck in the mud, and as the water of the Red Sea returned, uh, the Egyptian army was drowned. And so they escaped. They escaped, but were in a time of wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, during which time God gave his people the the Ten Commandments and also made a covenant with them. And these are some of the words of the, of the covenants from Deuteronomy chapter 11. God says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from th- that I commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. And so God's people had a choice. Are they going to obey these commands or are they going to disobey them? Are they going to worship God or are they going to worship other gods? And depending on that choice, they would either receive a blessing or a curse. So what did they choose to do? Well, over the next 400 years, things worked out pretty much as Moses had said uh, in this book. And the people of Israel did take possession of the land that God had promised them. And when they obeyed God, things went well for them. They won their battles with their enemies. But when they disobeyed God, things turned out badly for them. And they lost the battles. And some 400 years later, after the um, judges and then the first of the kings, Saul and then David and then Solomon, we probably reach what was probably the high point of their history. King David had been a great king um, and had conquered all the nations around them. 
And that meant that uh, Solomon had the riches in order to build the temple in Jerusalem. And we're going to look at uh, the next verse in 2 Chronicles, um, which is shortly after the dedication of the temple. So this wonderful temple had been built. Solomon had dedicated to God. And we read that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled it. And a few verses further on, verse 16. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. And then verse 19. But then God says, But if you turn away, and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, and go off and to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name, and I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule amongst the, all the peoples. So great high points, this temple there representing God with his people right in the heart of the city and the city in the heart of the nation God there right in the midst real sense of experiencing uh, the presence of God but at the same time this warning that if they were to forsake God and worship other gods then they would be uprooted well that was uh, from the book of Chronicles and that took place again about 400 years uh, before the time of Daniel and those next 400 years again continue to be a mixed blessing some of the kings that followed Solomon were good kings and they helped Israel to keep God's commandments but some of the kings were bad kings and they led the people astray and they started to worship other gods but generally speaking, as time went on, things, the general trend was downwards and things started to go from bad to worse. And that's when God started to send his prophets to remind his people of his covenant. Prophets like Isaiah and Amos. But the people chose to ignore the prophets. And so when we get to about 100 years before Daniel... Um, God sends the Assyrian army who conquers the northern kingdom of Israel and deports the people to other countries. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom, including the city of Jerusalem, escapes that. Um, and you might have thought that the people then, having seen what's happened in the north to their brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom, that would have been a wake-up call for them. Uh, but it wasn't. The southern kingdom continued to disobey God. And so God sent yet another prophet, this time Jeremiah, who warned of God's judgment if they didn't change their ways. But just as the people had ignored the other previous uh, prophets, so they ignored Jeremiah too. And so in 605 BC, 
King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, who had already defeated the Assyrian army, besieged Jerusalem. The king of Israel at the time, King Jehoiakim, capitulated and agreed to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. And also some of the young nobles were taken from Jerusalem and exiled into Babylon. And it's thought that Daniel and his friends were amongst those first people to be deported from Jerusalem into Babylon. They were probably teenagers at the time. So remember that date, 605 BC. Four years later, having paid tribute for four years, it appears that King Nebuchadnezzar was not quite as invincible as everyone had thought because he does battle with uh, the king of Egypt and the Egyptians win that battle. And so King Jehoiakim decides that this is a good time to rebel and to refuse to pay any more tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was furious and so he came back to Jerusalem and again laid siege. Um, this time, King Jehoiakim died while they were being under siege and about a year later, the city fell. Nebuchadnezzar took his revenge. He pillaged Jerusalem, he took all the gold from the temple and he appointed his own puppet king to rule Israel. That was King Zedekiah. And again, he took more of the prominent citizens back to Babylon with him. So that was the second exile. Despite warnings, Jeremiah, who was uh, the, the prophet, he was not one of the people taken back to Babylon. He remained in Jerusalem and he warned Zedekiah not to rebel like uh, his predecessor had done. But Zedekiah, 10 years later, does revolt again. And so Nebuchadnezzar again besieges Jerusalem for the third time. This time, when the city falls, he gathers uh, Zedekiah's children and he kills them in front of him. He then blinds, uh, take, puts out the eyes of Zedekiah. So the last thing he will remember seeing is his own children being killed. He then leads Zedekiah uh, back to Babylon and takes a lot more of the people back to Babylon with him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar then destroys, totally destroys the temple and pulls down the walls of the city. That was in 587 BC which was about 20 years on or so after the, uh, or 18 years after the first wave of, of exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. So in 605 BC, you have the first group of people going to, to Babylon, including Daniel. And then 18 years later, you have the last group going to, to Babylon and the temple is destroyed. But Jeremiah is still not amongst the exiles. He's still in Jerusalem. And th from there he writes to the exiles back in, uh, who've been taken to Babylon. And this is what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, 
I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. If we can just go back to the previous slide, just, yeah. So he talks about their 70 years. Um, We did see 70 years at some point, didn't we? That's there, okay. 70 years. And Daniel has been waiting for these 70 years. That's the 70 years he's talking about in his prayer. I wonder if Daniel had been ticking them off year by year, all these years in captivity from being a teenager, longing for the time when he and his fellow exiles would be able to return to their home country, their home city. And now perhaps they've reached the 70th year and Daniel was wondering why nothing had happened. Or perhaps the 70 years had already come and gone and he's still waiting. Because it's not quite clear exactly when Daniel is praying this prayer. Nor is it clear when the 70 years should start, we should start counting from. Should they start counting from the first exile, which Daniel was part of? Or should we start counting the 70 years from the last exile, when the temple was destroyed? Unfortunately, um, it doesn't help in the book of Daniel to be told that this happened during the first year of Daniel, Darius, son of Xerxes. Uh, and that's because um, Daniel, um, Darius, is not known in history. Um, you see, when it says Daniel, son of Xerxes, was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, well, the only Daniel, Darius that's known to be over a big was the Darius king of Persia, which happened about 100 years later. So it was probably not him. And this Darius, it's, scholars think perhaps he was king over part of the Babylonian empire, but the king who was over the whole of the empire was King Sirius. Um, so... Where Darius fits in and which party he was ruler over is not clear, nor the years in which um, he was speaking, re uh, reigning. Um, but we do know some things. Um, we do know that King Sirius gave permission for the exiles to return in 538 BC. Um, but when permission was given most of the exiles decided not to go back. After all, apart from the sort of really old people like Daniel, who was probably in his 80s or maybe 90s at that point, apart from them, no one else had experienced what it was like uh, 
They'd lived in Babylon the whole of their lives. This was the place they'd settled down. They liked living there. Why would they uproot from there and go back to the city of their parents and, God, and grandparents that had been devastated? So even though King Sirius gave permission for people to, to return, very few of them actually did. And the ones who did, when they got there, they were horrified by the desolation that they'd found. The books of, uh, in the Bible of Ezra and, and Nehemiah describe how difficult it really was for them. But gradually over the next few years, more and more exiles gradually did return. And as more returned, so they began building again and rebuilding the temple. But it took about 20 years for the temple to be restored. So as it turns out, um, it is, was almost exactly 70 years between the first people being deported and the first people returning to Jerusalem. It was almost, almost as well, almost exactly 70 years between the destruction of the temple and the completion of the rebuilding of the temple. And so Jeremiah was right by saying 70 years one way or the other, but we're still not quite sure which he intended when he said the 70 years. And where Daniel was in that when he was praying, again, it's not clear. But my hunch is that he was probably praying somewhere between the two events. That some of the exiles had gone back, but not many, and they'd found the place totally desolated. But the temple had not yet been built. And maybe that's the reason for the sense of despair that you have when you read Daniel chapter nine because things hadn't worked out like he'd hoped. And so I return to the question with which I began. How do we react when life doesn't turn out the way that we'd hoped? Well, I think Daniel chapter nine, first of all, helps us to, when we remember that, first of all, Daniel prays. Now that might sound obvious, but often it's something that we forget to do. Instead, when things don't turn out the way we hoped, we might moan or complain or sulk. If the disappointment is particularly painful, we might want to avoid it. We might want to hide it, suppress it, not think about it. But Daniel prays. And in his prayer, he directly addresses the disappointing situation that he's facing. Secondly, in his prayer, the prayer shows that Daniel has given a lot of thought to the cause of the problem. As I think about our planned holiday in Italy, I don't think there's anything or anyone that I can blame for that. It's just the way things have turned out. Certainly true of Brian and his death. There's no one really to blame for that. But sometimes the cause of our disappointment is something that either we have done or that somebody has done to us. 
or it's something that a group of people or a nation have done. In our day, the biggest problems that we're facing in the world are going to be the result of climate change, for which we all bear some sort of responsibility. And the season of Lent is a good time to reflect, to reflect on the causes of the disappointment that we're facing. And then thirdly, Daniel took action. In his case, he recognized that the cause of the problem was the sinfulness of his people, how they had abandoned God and worshiped other gods instead. And so he is repentant. He repents on behalf, not just of himself, but on behalf of his whole people. And he repents not just in words, but by fasting and wearing sackcloth and ashes. And perhaps God is calling us to repent on behalf of the church or our nation or the world for the things that are disappointing us. Or if the cause is something that we have done ourselves or that someone has done for us, what action is God calling us to take? And finally, Daniel continues to trust in God. He trusted God through difficult situations before. He'd remained faithful to God in the lion's den. And now, surrounded by this feeling of disappointment, he continues to trust God in the face of that. It's easy to trust God when all is going well. It's in the face of troubles and disappointments that times of testing come. But he thinks about how God has been faithful in the past, how he rescued his people from Egypt 800 years before. And he continues to have faith that God will remain faithful in the present. Will we remain faithful to him? So let's stand to pray. And in the quiet, let's just think about our own lives and whether there's any disappointment that we are facing at the moment. As we stand before God, let's not hide from that. But in God's presence, let's face that with him. To be honest with him, tell him how we're feeling.
listening to him as to whether there's any action he wants us to take. committing ourselves to trust him through the difficulty.